0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're we're going to talk about... Uh, I'm going to try to advance a theory here um, based on, based on the, the splitting of the Red Sea. And, and basically, um, I think... I think that God is showing us in the in the way that we're being taken out of Egypt, and remember, being taken out of Egypt stands for all redemptions, um, not just not just the redemption thousands of years ago, but but the, the Zohar says that the future redemption is based on uh, the the Egyptian um, model as well. So, so in other words, this is sort of the headquarters of learning about all redemptions, and I think that um, we're being shown here. A model of how God runs the world, in in a very relevant way to our lives uh, today, and 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 so um, you know it's it's very mysterious how God runs the world. We know that there's certain principles and and everything like that. Certain things we're supposed to do. Certain things, ideally, we're not we're not doing. But um, you know. How things happen and why things happen is like a black box. It's 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 very very mysterious. Um, so to get a insight um, uh, into how the, the the mechanics, the cause and effect of how God is running the world um, would be very valuable. You know, so so that that's what we're going to try to do today. And and I, I haven't seen this written anywhere, but but this is all based, you'll see, on, on, on how we were taken out of Egypt. So I think that um, it's, you know, these sorts are very much grounded in, in Torah, as you'll, as, as you'll see throughout. Um, so, so the first thing that we see is that God is taking us out of Egypt in a very roundabout way. And so that's very intuitive in terms of trying to understand how our own lives are and how all of history has been it's been very roundabout you know it seems like very little of it is just sort of like very straightforward you know like you turn on a light the light goes on you know what i mean it seems to be not that and and so that's the very first principle that we see in terms of being taken out of egypt which is that which is that god tells us that you know, there was a direct path. And by the way, I got the, I got the map straight in my head after all these years. I finally got the map straight, which is, I'll just kind of draw it with a, my finger in the air, which is that you've got Egypt is, is over here. And, and, um, and if you were to just draw just a nice slope upwards, just a simple slope upwards, you'd go from the top of Egypt right into Israel. Right along the Mediterranean coastline, right where Gaza is right now, the Mediterranean Sea is. The top of Egypt is where the the Mediterranean is is also, okay? So you're going from below to above in a nice little swoop, right from Egypt right into Israel, okay? That was the shortcut. And God says right off the bat here in the beginning of this week's Parsha, you know what's going to happen? Now listen carefully because we're going to go back to this idea. God says, if I take you that way, what's going to happen is you're going to encounter the Plishtim. The Plishtim are the current inhabitants of, of Israel. By the way, not the Palestinians. They're not, these are two different ideas. The, the Plishtim are going to wage a war against you. And just like there was a nice little simple swoop up into Israel, you're going to swoop right back down into Egypt when you, when you encounter that war. Okay? So, so, from there you see something very, very interesting, and we're going to develop this idea in depth. But, but God has, so to speak, taken our temperature. He's taken our temperature, and he said, you're not ready to withstand the coming test. And because you're not ready to withstand the coming test, I'm going to arrange things to give you the ability to pass the test that's coming. Right? So what, what was, what's the test, just so that we're all communicating? What, what's the test that I'm referring to right here? Well, God says it very explicitly. You're going to encounter this war in Israel, and it's going to scare you, and you're going to retreat, and you're going to run back to Egypt. So so God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a roundabout way because you're not ready to pass that test. Okay? Now, imagine you're in college or something like this. And you say to the the teacher, um, you know... I'm not ready for the test, or I had all this stuff going on in my life and everything like that. And the teacher was sympathetic, like God is sympathetic. The teacher says, okay, we'll reschedule it for next week, say, right? So what is supposed to happen over that next week? You're supposed to study for the test, right? (laughs) Right, that's very clear. That's why you asked for more time, or that's why the teacher gave you more time, so that you can be prepared. Okay. So so God, again, remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about a very, very big idea here, which is, why is God, how is God running the world? Right? It's very mysterious, and we know that everything is always filled with sort of like, it seems like one step forward, five steps backwards, or it's sort of like, what I want is right there, but I'm being taken in the opposite direction. Like, you see, all of life really is being addressed right now. So much of life is being addressed right now on this issue. So, so God took our temperature, our spiritual temperature, right? Realized that we were not going to be able to withstand the challenge of the test in Israel, the war in Israel. And so he says, okay, I'm going to take you on a roundabout way. Now... What is the point of being taken on the roundabout way? The same thing that you ask the teacher, you know something? I need more time to study. So God is going to prepare us for that test that's coming. Now, I want to jump a number of steps right now before we get to how God prepares us for, the, for these tests in our lives today and also back then, okay? Okay. I want to jump a number of steps because I want to show you that we're about to encounter this same test that was delayed at the beginning of this Parsha. And hopefully we're ready for this test at this time. You're going to see that we weren't and that we failed it fairly miserably, (laughs) but I want you to. This is the new idea that, this is another new idea that I'm in, advancing right now. I want you to connect these two ideas. okay? So what is the idea? What's the, what's the new idea? Again, God could have taken us on this shortcut, but He knew that we were going to account, encounter this war and He didn't want us to be afraid. So He takes us in a roundabout way, prepares us. We'll talk about how He prepares us in a moment. And then after Mount Sinai, we send spies into Israel. Remember the spies? That's what we've been getting to. And the spies come back. Ideally, they would have come back with a great report. But they come back with another report. They say there are giants in great fortresses there, and they're going to wipe us out. In other words, does this sound similar to the beginning of this Parsha? It should sound exactly the same. (laughs) I don't know if you ever made this connection. But ideally now, since God is giving us that test now, before he avoided the test by avoiding it completely, right? Now he's giving us that test, but he's only going to give us that test if ideally now we can pass the test, right? Because we've been prepared for that test. And again, we'll talk about how he prepared us for that test. But... But understand that ideally, we could have said at that moment, you know something, God, you can do absolutely anything. We're not afraid. We're going to be victorious. Let's go in. That's what we could have said. That's what we could. And we were we were prepared. We were spiritually prepared at that time to do it, which is the only reason why that test came. Or, or you could say the following: You could you could say we weren't prepared even then for that test, and that was the great sin of the spies that they forced a test on us by giving us a bad report about the land that we weren't ready to pass yet. Have they given us a good report? then we wouldn't even have known that there was this test. We would have just kind of gone in and there would have been these miraculous battles and everything would have been great. So that, that's really interesting. That's really interesting because you could learn it either way. You could say, well, look, when all is said and done, everything comes from God and we got the test and we wouldn't have gotten the test unless we were ready for it. Or you could have said, you know something? God really didn't want us to have that test. We brought that test on ourselves. Now, listen to this. We have this principle that, that you're always given the means to pass a test, um, except tests that you bring on yourself. Isn't that interesting? Because you could very much argue that that was a test that we brought on ourselves. And that we weren't necessarily, you see clearly there, that we weren't given the means to, to pass it once we brought it on ourselves. And by the way, do you know where we learn that from? We learn that from King David. A very interesting medrash, where um, King David is 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 you know talking to God and 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 and, and says, you know, it says, um, you know, like Elokei Avraham, God of Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, God of Yitzchak; Elokei Yaakov, God of Yaakov. And David and Malik says, it doesn't say, L-O-K, David. And Hashem says, well, that's because I tested them and I haven't tested you. And so David says, then test me. And God says, okay, I'll test you. And I'm even going to tell you how I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you with a woman. And David says, okay. And at that moment, He's looking at the window, and on the roof of the building, across from his window, there's a curtain, right? And the curtain falls, and there's Bat Sheva about to walk into the mikveh. And we know how that story ends. (laughs) Okay? So, because he brought a test on himself... He wasn't necessarily given the means to to pass it. Okay. So, So, you see, again, let's just review. We have this idea that God takes us in a roundabout way to avoid giving us the test of the warring party in the land of Israel in order so that when that test comes back again, we are going to be prepared to pass it at that point. Okay. Now... You can argue either we brought it on ourselves and that's why we weren't necessarily given the means there or God knew that we were going to bring it on ourselves but we should have been prepared anyway and we weren't prepared. However you want to learn. Okay. So now the bigger question or the bigger idea. How is it that God is preparing us and strengthening us for these tests so that we can pass these tests? So I would suggest to you that, that really trust in, trusting in God trusting in God is probably the the greatest tool to pass a test. That if you if you if you have faith in Hashem and you have faith in his goodness, that is part and parcel with the ability to overcome challenges, and overcome tests, okay? See, the problem, one of the problems is, is when a person thinks that they're alone, or that they've been abandoned, then it's very hard to pass a test. Because you just, it just kind of eats at you. You know, what's so interesting is that the, the end of this week's Parsha, which is, you know, very much kind of in keeping what we're talking about, we do face a war. By the way, the, 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 the Rishonim asks this question. It says that God is, is, is taking us in this roundabout way so that we avoid this war in the land of Israel, but we, we hit a war, we get attacked by a Moloch in, this, in the exact same Parsha. Like what's what's with it, God? You're either taking it, you're either keeping us free from wars or, or, or not. Like it's one or the other. So I saw two answers. Um, one from Rashi and one from the Ramban. One answer says, at that point when we got attacked by a Moloch, we were so far away from Egypt, there was no concern that we're going back to Egypt. So <laughs> that's sort of an interesting. That's that's an interesting answer. The other one was that, no, it was a different type of war. That, that would have been a protracted war for one's homeland, whereas this was kind of like a war along the way. So just the nature of the type of war was different enough that it didn't really apply. Okay, but it's an interesting question. But anyway, Amalek attacks. And there's a famous Salonim or Torah from the Salonim or Rebbe that I heard from Reb Shlomo about the nature of the way Amalek attacks us. Because remember, Amalek is not just this enemy nation trying to undermine the presence of God in this world or the awareness of God in this world, but it's also a, like a spiritual force. It's a very much akin to the Yetzirah. And so it says, um, remember how Amalek attacked you. Now, you means the nation of Israel. So that should be in the plural, right? Since it's talking about millions of people, but it says it's in the singular. So, that's strange. Why does it say, remember how Amalek attacked you, singular? And so the Slonim Rebbe says, you know how Amalek attacks you? By telling you that you're all alone. That it's just you. That you're not a part of something bigger. And when you feel like, and it, it really talks about how it, Picked off the weak and the feeble on the outside of the camp. In other words, it comes to us, and it, it treats us like each one of us is in, in, in our own weakness and our own feebleness, spiritually speaking, just and then we just think, "Ah, I'm a lost cause. So I, if I'm already a lost cause, then what do I have to fight for? Because I already lost. right? So that's the psychology of, of how a Malik attacks. Right? You know, it's so therapeutic just to be part of a community. And by the way, just showing up, even if you're not excelling in any way, shape, or form, literally just showing up and just seeing that there's a larger chunk beyond just what's going on between your ears. It's so therapeutic. It's 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 beyond therapeutic. It's life saving. It's life saving. Because it's a it's a it's an silent, eloquent, definitive reminder that you are part of something larger. Right? And it's just like a just like a slam dunk refutation of whatever negativity is circling around in your brain. You just walk into a place with other people and you go, I'm not alone. That's That's the simple truth of it. Okay. So, again, we have to get back to this question. How is God preparing us for these type of tests? In other words, we're saying that all of history, this is the idea that we're advancing right now, that God is always kind of leading us on these roundabout detours because we're not ready to get to the next step. So in other words, this this thing where it's sort of like, I want this thing, but I don't have this thing, I'm being punished. That's That would not really be like the thought. Okay, We would say that that's not really what's going on. Ben-Zion, um, said something so beautiful over Shabbos. He said, you know, the type of questions that you ask is really going to be very um, central to, to the life you lead, okay? What type of questions are you asking? And so he gave a fantastic example. He said, let's say things aren't going your way for whatever reason, in whatever category. You can, you can ask God why are you doing this to me? Or you can ask, God, why are you doing this for me? You, that? you can either ask, God, why are you doing this to me? Or you can ask, God, why are you doing this for me? Do you, do you understand? That changes absolutely everything. changes everything. And, and it, it takes you out of the category of being a victim right and and it allows you to it allows you to sort of like go okay what 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 can I gain from this obviously I just got my report card back I got my I wanted to go in this direction I'm going in that direction so that's my report card that I'm told that I'm not ready for this so so why am I not ready for that Okay, so so I'm telling you that, that being able to trust is a very, very essential ingredient to be able to make yourself ready, right? Sometimes you're not ready because you yourself don't think that you're ready. In other words, sometimes you actually are ready. But you just keep on telling yourself that you're not ready. So sometimes the the answer is just saying, you know what, I am ready. Or I'm going to risk being ready. And then you should, you know, um, you know, consult with some people, make sure that they agree with you. Because you know, you don't want to you don't want that idea that thinking that you're ready to be a place coming from impulsiveness or from ego. Right, like for instance, no one wants this situation where I, you know, rent out a really nice medical suite in Century City and I'm now decided that I'm ready to perform brain surgery. (laughs) You know what, I, I gotta have more confidence in myself. Did you go to medical school? Don't change the subject, brother. (laughs) I have to believe in myself more. What do I have to do? Just cut the skull open poke around. I've I've been on the internet. I watch some YouTube videos. (laughs) So we're not talking about that. We're talking about, like, for instance, like, you know, every once in a while, I'll talk to someone who's like... So ready to get married. You know, it's like ridiculous. But they'll say, oh, I'm not ready. You're waiting for your social security check? I mean, what is, honestly, what, what are you waiting for to be ready? So that's an example where they are ready, but they just don't think that they're ready. So sometimes it's as simple as that. But I say as simple as that, but that in itself is pretty complicated because you have to... Overcome a lot of mental blocks. You know? But, but even there, it requires trust. Because you, you need that level of, of trust. Because whenever you enter into a new situation, it's always going to be scary. And there are always going to be unknowns that you're going to encounter. And there are always going to be setbacks, but that doesn't mean that you won't be successful. Okay. So again, we still haven't answered the big question here. How does God prepare us? When he takes us on this roundabout way, right? So so the first thing that we're we're suggesting is is that when God isn't giving us what we want right away and he's taking us in a different direction, that's not God withholding, that's God preparing us. That, That in itself is a big idea, right? Why are you doing this for me. That's God preparing us. Okay. So now I want to read you something from the beginning of this Parsha. Now remember, this Parsha, where God takes us on this roundabout way, and remember how we started, all redemptions, all the future redemption, all redemptions are based on this model. Okay? So we're still kind of waiting for that giant final redemption. So we're still very much in the category of what this is discussing here. So when it's talking about... So this is all in Parshas B'Shalach. Now, let me tell you what's in Parshas B'Shalach. And this is now going to be a hint of how God prepares us. Okay, The splitting of the Red Sea. The man coming down from heaven. For, by the way, you know, the first case scenario wasn't that it was going to be for 40 years. Because it was just a, a little over... Here's the timeline, by the way. We leave Egypt... We get to Mount Sinai 50 days later. We stay at Mount Sinai for one year. And then basically a few days later, we're going into Israel. That's when the, that's when the test of the spies came. Okay, so, so over that period of time, for a year, a year and a couple of months approximately, we've gotten the man, right? Bread from heaven. There's been this well that's been traveling around the desert with us, Miriam's well. These are all miracles, by the way. The Ananiya covet, these clouds of glory, which allowed us, you know, millions of people to be in the desert and not be, you know, die of sunstroke. Or it says that these clouds were extra miraculous, that they protected against snakes and scorpions and things like that in the desert, right? So we have all of these amazing, of course, the giving of the Torah itself, which was a completely out-of-body, you know, extra-dimensional experience, okay? So we've had all of these amazing, amazing, amazing experiences of how God protects us. And ideally, God, God is showing us, look, I'm taking you on this roundabout way because I want you to know how much I'm protecting you, how close I am to you, when you see how much I'm protecting you and how close I am to you and the the miracles both revealed and hidden and we'll get to hidden miracles in a moment revealed and hidden that I'm doing for you you will trust in me and then when that next challenge comes and you hear okay there are these giants and fortresses you're gonna go you know it's it's no problem it's no problem and by the way after 40 years it was no problem, because you have a very interesting um, little moment in the Torah, um, in, in Sefer Devarim, toward the end of the Torah, where Moshe says, recounts, like, remember, the Jews are about to go into the land, and Moshe, like, like this is after 40 years now, it's like, okay, we're, we're going in. And Moshe brings up the whole idea that they're giants in the land and this and that. And, you know, and you're like, Moshe, no, no, don't say that. No, no, no don't, don't. That's the thing that scared us and like totally like ruined us the last time we heard it, 40 years ago. We're right on the border. Don't bring that up again. But Moshe does bring it up again. And you know what the people's reaction is? No, no reaction at all. Meaning to say, it's no problem. See, because we were ready. We were ready. And and it it shows you how how sensitive we are, really. And in a way, just because of the way we're made, how how slow we are. In, in a way that, you know, we should have just appreciation and sensitivity for ourselves. Because it really did take 40 years, 40 years, for us living with miracles to get that message. And also, let's go deeper. By the time that we went in, it was a different generation. It was not that first generation, that first generation died out. So now let's have another dose of appreciation for us ourselves in our own lives in the here and now today. Okay? You see, post-traumatic stress is like a really real thing and we tend to um, honor it by really just attributing it to um, active war veterans and things like that and that's appropriate because that level of post-traumatic stress is, is probably not our daily post-traumatic stress. You know, it, it, it isn't, right? However, that doesn't mean that we don't also have post-traumatic stress. It's a real thing, it's maybe not that category, but it doesn't mean we're not living with it and suffering from it and it's not affecting us in real ways. It is. So we have to recognize it and diagnose it and figure out how we have to address it in our own lives. On some level, you have this generation, right, that's been enslaved in Egypt in active enslavement for 210 years, right? So that means their parents and their parents. There's like real horrible slave slavery, you know? And then all of a sudden we're told, okay, there's some bread that's been coming down from heaven for the last year and now go in and fight those giants. And we're like, uh, I don't know. Why, because we had been like whipped by Egyptian taskmasters for a couple of hundred years. That gets into your brain. And, and so you say, well, but yeah, but you saw miracles. I saw miracles, I also got beat up pretty severely my entire life. Longer than I saw miracles, by the way. A lot longer. So, so, it's not for nothing that the new generation that goes in 40 years, it's not just that it's like, okay, they needed more man. They needed more clouds. They needed more water in the desert. It's not just that, it was also a generation that didn't have to go through that experience. So I think that we all have to ask ourselves, what post-traumatic stress have I experienced in terms of my life and in terms of my relationship with God, where, you know, where I really needed something, and I really prayed for something, and I didn't get it, and I, I, I feel like I plummeted. And, and now there's this wound, in terms of my relationship with God, that I feel like I needed him at that moment. And I'm sure it was for my best, but I've never resolved that issue. You know, like, eventually my circumstances changed for the better, thank God, hopefully. Hopefully. And now I'm kind of back in the swing of things and everything like that. But there was a situation where I was in a pit for 14 months, you know, sucking water out of dirt to survive. What about that? Well, you're not in that situation anymore and you got saved from that and everything like that. After 14 months, <laughs> you know, like, in other words, I I think that we, we need to revisit, you know, at a time when it's psychologically okay for each of us, right, to revisit some of those moments and try to figure out what was going on. And not just say, well, it's over and it worked out for the best and everything like that. Because I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why. Because if that pain is still alive in us, then probably there's a throbbing, active center of mistrust in God still inside of us. Now, maybe it's not how we lead, and maybe it's not how we go through each day. Maybe it's not doesn't that active throbbing mistrust doesn't have the steering wheel in terms of our actions during the day, but as long as it's there, it is absolutely affecting our relationship and our choices. Absolutely. 100%. There's not not even a question. So, So that next generation gets in, but remember, that next generation didn't live with Egyptian servitude. Okay, so so where do you see this in the Parsha? So I'm, I'm just going to read it to you now. In the beginning of Parsha Spishalach, the splitting of the Red Sea doesn't come until f- much, much later in the Parsha, okay? We're just opening up the Parsha right here. Now, the way you say um, the Red Sea in, in Hebrew, in the Torah language, is Yamsuf, okay? Yam Suf. So it says, it happened when Paro sent out the people. By the way, we have to just, classic or Torah, we have, to, we have to mention it. Because it definitely um, impacts on everything we're learning right now. You have a very striking word that this Parsha begins with. You know, we have a, a great claw, a great foundational thought from the, from the Talmud. Which is that when a verse begins with the word Vayahi, it portends something negative, as opposed to vahaya, which portends something positive, okay? So we're we're getting out of Egypt right now, right? All these miracles are about to happen. How could it be that this Parsha begins with the word vayahi, which is a negative word? How could it be? So the Rebbe gives a very heartbreaking answer, extremely heartbreaking. So I heard this from Rib Shlomo. why does the Parsha begin with Vayahi? It says, and it happened when Paro sent out the people. It happened, Vayahi means it happened, when Paro sent out the people. So the original Rebbe says, you know why it says Vayahi? Because deep down, the Jewish people felt like Paro was taking them out of Egypt. Not God. Not Moshe. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? It's so sensitive. It's so sensitive, you know, like, like when something good happens, like, do you really feel like it came from Hashem? Or do you feel like it came from you or your boss or? right? And then also you're going to thank Hashem because everyone tells you, oh yeah, don't don't forget about Hashem. In other words, how do you viscerally experience the good thing that happens? Is it God and also, and then he sent it through these other people? Or is it really these other people and then also, you know, got to acknowledge God too. Can't not also thank God, That, that's an, another, these, you know, it's like they say baseball is a game of inches. Like, when it comes to, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to these things, when it comes to these things, it's really, it's, it's, it's really these subtleties is where everything takes place. And, and they're not subtleties, actually. They're not, they're not subtleties. You know, when you think of like on the subatomic level, like one proton can change, it it, it becomes a different element. It's a a completely different thing. And we're talking about the the, the most minute, 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 minute difference. But that's when it comes to this type of matters of the soul. These little tiny adjustments are like, you know, the sizes of continents. Okay. So so again, let's 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 read through this. And and I want you to be sensitive to 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 we're gonna mention the Yamsuf here, the splitting of the sea. But remember, when we hear the reference to the splitting of the sea that's coming up that I want you to hear, it's the splitting of the sea is not about to happen for a very long time still. Okay? So now listen. It happened when Paro sent out the people that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Klistim, the Philistines, because it was, because it was near, meaning that, that was a shortcut. For God said, perhaps the people will reconsider when they see a war, and they will return to Egypt. So now listen. So God turned the people toward the way of the wilderness to the Yamsuf. In other words, God said they're not spiritually ready yet for that bigger test. I'm going to take them out of the way to show them a massive miracle. And we don't know the miracle that's that's go that but God is telling you right here in the very beginning that the reason why he took us out of the way was for the Yamsuf, so that they could see the splitting of the Red Sea, so that they could have more faith so that we could have more faith. And then after the splitting of the Red Sea, and by the way, you know, mystically speaking, it's not just the sea that split, it's all the heavens that split. And it says that every single person had this tremendous, like, revelation of prophecy. Yechezkel, Ezekiel, is is like one of the, the master prophets who, like, you know, sees, like, to the highest reaches of heaven. Okay? And it says that the... Person who was on this lowest spiritual level, crossing the, 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 the Red Sea, had a prophecy higher than Yeheskal, higher than Ezekiel. Alright, so God says, okay, look, you're not ready for that yet. You've just been like, you've just been um, you know, slaves for in, uh, the act of slavery was for 210 years. By the way, so you say, well, wait a second. Did the miracles are you are you saying that the miracles are really just starting right now? Didn't we just have the 10 plagues and everything like that? So you have to understand because so much of this is psychological, you know? Like like I give you an example. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an old joke. We 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 actually spent a whole talk just on this one joke. But um but, but it's good to tell it now, because there, there are versions of this that come up in our lives all of the time. So, so anyone who's lived in Manhattan, you know, New York City, uh, knows the truth of this, okay? Which is that it's basically impossible to get a parking space. I mean, you can... I've, I've driven around for close to an hour, you know, uh, just looking... You, you, can't, you can't find one. It, 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 it's it's maddening it's actually maddening okay um so so the the, the way the joke goes is that a, a person's driving you know and um he's got a very important business meeting and he's like downtown and there's the and he's like late and he's like if if i don't get a parking spot right now i'm going to miss this meeting everything's going to fall apart i please god God, I'll start keeping kosher. Just send me a parking space, please. I'll keep Shabbos. Send me a parking space. And then one opens up in front of the building. And he says, never mind, God, I just found one. Right? So, so, So again, like, all right, we won't go into the whole thing, but, but, but here is my question, I think it's actually a very deep joke. My question is, you can't say, "Ah, oh, the guy's not religious. Ah. He's talking to God. He's talking to God while he's, while he's by himself. He believes that there's a God. He has a relationship with the God. Not only that, but he believes that God runs the world so minutely that he even controls the availability of parking spaces. You're going to tell me that this person in the joke is not religious? He's a very religious person. Right? By conventional definition. So then what went wrong? What went wrong that all of a sudden he thought that I did that and not God? And that that's just something that happened and has completely disconnected from, 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 from God's running the world. Okay, we won't go into it, but you can think about it. <laughs> I'll give you a quick answer, though. I won't leave you hanging. <laughs> you know, Reb Shlomo used to say, and this, this line runs through my head all the time. It's, it's such a kind of important thing. He used to say all the time, why are you making God so small? Why are you making God so small? So, anyway, that will be the brief answer. But, but, um, but it's worth thinking about. Like, what, what is, what's going through that person's mind? Because, because the psychology, the psychology of religion, the psychology of belief is very, very essential because miracles can happen in front of your face and, and, and you cannot see them. Right? In fact, I, I, I'll, let me rephrase that. Miracles are happening in front of our face all of the time. And we are not seeing them. And now that's as good a transition as any. I said we're going to talk about miracles, revealed miracles, but also hidden miracles. Okay? Because basically you have to understand something. There's a constant to the universe. And that constant is miracles. And it sounds kind of strange. Because you say, well, wait a second. Isn't the definition of a miracle something that's exceptional? Well, yeah, those are open miracles. That's like the splitting of the Red Sea. That, that, that defies nature. But let's go deeper. Nature itself is an ongoing miracle. And as they say, I don't know if this is the Rambam or the Ramban, nature is a miracle that you've become bored of. <laughs> that you've gotten used to. Exactly. But it's it's no less miraculous just because you, you know, with our limited attention spans, we just aren't wowed and you know, just amazed by it. So so I think that it's interesting. And I don't know if this is every single year if you were like looking at one of those 100-year, 500-year calendars. I don't know if it's every year. But since I've noticed it, it's been every year. Okay? And that's that whenever we read about the parsha of the splitting of the Red Sea, it's always Tubishvat. So Tubishvat is all about um, well it's the new year for trees, and it's all about hidden miracles. Okay, so so let's um let, let, let let's look at it this way. I, I always like this example. Imagine you're you have like you're you're making some notes with a pencil, right? In the kitchen, and then you walk out of the room, right? And then you come back, and growing out of your pencil are like five large juicy grapefruits. (laughs) You'd go, What is going on? (laughs) What is going on? Like here's like this piece of wood, and out of this piece of wood is coming juicy fruit. How is that possible, right? Well, think about what's going on with a tree. A tree is a piece of wood, and you've got all this fruit coming out of the tree. Like, you know, we have like, in just in terms of genetics, like usually you can notice the face of the parent and the child on some level, right? But do you notice the face of the tree in the grapefruit? <laughs> I mean, right, like I would like to introduce you to the father of this chair. It's the Toyota SUV outside. Like, what? What are the two things I have in common? Like they couldn't be more different. How does one thing come from the other? So, so when it comes to hidden miracles, the whole world is replete with hidden miracles. God Plays a trick on us, not like a, God's a jokester. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there is, there is this illusion that takes place, and I'll tell you what the secret ingredient is: time. Okay. Now, I'll explain. Imagine if I, if every time you planted a seed, like the next moment, a 10 foot tree sprang out of the ground replete with fruit. You would go, wow, like trees are miracles. It's amazing. Although, by the way, you'd get used to that also. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the nature of human beings. I'll give you the super dark side of that. You want to hear it? This is super dark. That, that um, film by Claude Lonsman, Oliver Shalom, uh, Shoah which was hours and hours and hours and hours long, filled with long silences, this amazing, amazing documentary about the Holocaust. They interview a farmer whose land was bordering, like like on the border, on the direct border of the Auschwitz death camp. And Claude Landsman interviews him and says, didn't you hear the screams? And this is a Polish farmer. He says, I heard the screams. Yeah. And he said, what did you, like, and he said, you get used to them. Yeah. Right? So, this, on some level, is the, you know, just, kind of just the way we're made, kind of get used to things, which is, you know, sometimes that's um, a blessing because then we can sometimes, we ourselves can withstand suffering and it gives us armor to, to move forward in our own lives. But sometimes it can make us horrifically insensitive. To what's, to, to, to what's going on around us um, so 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 God God throws in this factor of time so what happens is let's say you want to plant a tree first thing you got to do is you got to kind of clear the soil of rocks that's a lot of work that's like then you got to get the seeds right and 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 by the way, you gotta plant good seeds. We, we have, um, we, we have this avocado tree, right? That was planted with an avocado, but, but the avocados are like really watery. <laughs> they're good enough, it's, thank God we got, got these avocados, but they're not like those like real good Haas avocados, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, oh yeah, it's an avocado tree. So, so you gotta plant good seeds, okay? Um, so, so then you got to water it and then something sprouts and you've got to protect it from insects and, and, and other animals and everything like that. And then over a period of years, you finally get some fruit and then you feel like I did this, I did this, you know, and, and it's a, it's a kind of a normal, natural way to react. And you, you certainly were partners with God. There's no question. There's no question, right? But the actual miraculousness of it, it just seems like, well, this is what happens. If you plant a seed and you take care and you water it and everything like that, this is what happens, right? But why should it happen? Why should it happen? What, what is the logic between a, you know, between a grapefruit and a piece of wood? There, there's no logic to it. I saw one of the greatest things I ever saw in my life. I wish I could watch it again. I just saw it once. I saw a time-elapse photo of a baby growing in uh, in in a uterus. And over a period of, I don't know, like 30 seconds or something like that, or maybe it was a little bit longer, all of a sudden it went from nothing to, there's a person in that person! <laughs> How did that person get in that person? There's a full-on person in that person! How did that happen? But But, you know, it was so dramatic seeing it like over the course of a few seconds but you know like in in normal life it's sort of like well of course it happened first I went on this dating site (laughs) and then we texted each other for a while (laughs) and then he was so sweet he what do you think there's no baby of course there's a baby what do you think Right? Like, this time kicks in. The time factor kicks in. And it stops us, it dulls us, from the ongoing miraculousness of everything that's going on around us. Now, I always quote this because to me this is just sort of like like the ultimate reality check. That the Ramban says that anyone who doesn't say that every single thing that happens is a miracle has no portion in the Torah of Moshe. That is a... And, we're, and that's from one of our greatest Jewish commentators, our most revered Jewish commentators. In other words, it shows you that, that Torah, Torah, Judaism, really the classic Judaism, is really a fairly radical way of understanding life. Because it's really asking you to appreciate everything that's going on as a miracle. Now, what is a miracle? Let's kind of just cut to the chase of it. And let's get back to our larger topic. We're saying that God takes us, if we're not ready, ideally we're ready. But if we're not ready, God will take us in a roundabout way. But why is he taking us in this roundabout way? So again, leaving Egypt is the model for all future redemptions. That's why we're kind of, why I feel, you know, at liberty to extrapolate from this episode and talk about all of life right now. Because, because our sources really do say that this is a model for all of life. God is taking us out of the way in order to show us miracles so that we'll have more trust in him, so that we'll be able to be ready, okay? So with that in mind, let's answer the question, what is a miracle? We're saying, well, everything's a miracle. Okay, so what does that mean that everything is a miracle? You ready? Here's what it means. That God is directly involved with every single element of everything all of the time. That's the bottom line. And when you have that awareness that God is directly involved with absolutely every single aspect of everything all of the time, you're ready. You're ready. If you really believe it, if you really believe it, and we're saying that this is not belief right now, we're saying this is actually reality, then you're ready. Because you're going to trust at that point. So I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me this week. An unbelievable story, like a crazy story. But but there was, there was something that was going on later in the week that I just d- didn't feel great about. It I was just like, had a lot of anxiety about this event and just whatever, whatever. You know, just was giving me anxiety. But... Okay. So now, turns out that uh, through this crazy series of events, my daughter has this rabbi, right? Um, who, last year, at college. And he leaves because his wife is an ethnomusicologist and is studying wrestling music from Senegal, getting a PhD, right? Like like this high-level academics here, you know? So, so this rabbi and his wife, who herself is a scholar, are living in Senegal right now. <laughs> I had met him and liked him a lot and had bonded with him. I get a, a WhatsApp from him from Senegal, okay? And he says to me, you know, I'm going to be performing this wedding in Los Angeles. Are you open to being a witness at this wedding? (laughs) So there are certain laws, if you want to be a witness at a, a wedding, you have to be, you have to keep Shabbos, right? You have to be sort of what we call a kosher witness, an aid. Aid is how you say witness in Hebrew, you know? So, so, uh... Are you, are, you, uh, are you open for that? So, so I, I met the, and you have to have two, two of these kosher witnesses. So it turns out, and it's a very special couple, and I, 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 I met with them, and it turns out that I know someone else who could also kind of be an, an, an aid, a kosher witness for them, that sort of falls into this these very specific categories that I'm not gonna go into right now, just, you know, Common things that we have together, um, but you know, all based on these like just wildly very precise little things. And it's sort of like I said, I know someone else in this thing, and they were like, "We actually, I, I know that per- Would you get in contact with that?" We haven't been in. So, the next day, I, I I call that person. I say, "Hey, look, you know, they need another witness, and and you know, you, they know you, and this would be great." And he, he was like, "Yeah, you know." Um, it sounds great, I, I would love to do it. I, I just want to go over the halachas, the laws, of being an aide, a witness, under the chuppah, under the marriage canopy, right? I said, ah, you know, absolutely, You know, do, do check into it, do whatever you like, you know, and get back to me. So a couple of hours later, maybe three hours later, work ends a little bit early, I'm able to go to Mincha in at the shul that I rarely go to, There's a Rav there who's learning halachas between Mincha and Mariv. I go and I sit down. He steps up after Mincha's over. He steps up to the Bima, and this is the first thing he says. Okay, now we're going to learn the halachas of being an aid under the Chuppah. I mean, (laughs) it's like, that's not like winning, like, Lotto—that's winning Powerball. <laughs> you know, what I mean, that's like the—that's like the, that, that, in the—that's in the tens of millions of dollars. That's like that's that's the billion-dollar lottery. Like in terms of the odds of that are just—you know—as as my father, Oliver Shami, used to like to say, it would give a computer nervous breakdown. <laughs> you know? It's like it's just there's no—you can't explain it. You can't explain it, except, except by saying that Hashem is showing how closely he's involved, how closely he's listening, how closely he's interacting, all of the time. And now, here's the real point of the story. The real point is, I then said to myself, and this is going to tie everything together that we've been talking about. I then said to myself, if God is that close, didn't God also make this event later on in the week that I'm having anxiety about? Didn't he also do that? So he's showing me that he's this close to me. What do I have to be afraid of? And I wasn't afraid. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to have a good time. And you know what? I had a good time. Thanks for listening.